Excellency. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the Great Crusade. Early this morning, the Allies began the assault on the northwestern coast of Victor's European Force. Bonjour à tous, and welcome to the very first episode of Till Victory, a podcast about World War II and peace. My name is Clément Orvat, a young Frenchman, history buff, and author of Till Victory, the Second World War by Those Who Were There, published by Pen and Sword Books in October 2020. I have been collecting wartime letters and items since I was a very young teenager and have researched the stories of the men and women behind each one of them for more than 15 years now. I remember when I first had the idea to turn all this research into a book, and that was the morning after I bought a very special letter on eBay. I thought at the time that it was the most beautiful one I had ever owned. Not, not only because it was from a man in the famous 2nd Ranger Battalion, writing to the mother of a fellow soldier killed on Omaha Beach, but also because its author, Ray Alm, had an amazing story. On the morning of D-Day, he was one of the eight surviving members of his company still able to fight out of 65, and war was still far from over. He would then fight in Brest, in the terrible Hürtgen Forest, and on Hill 400, and pushed through Germany all the way to Czechoslovakia. Ray Arm is one of the very few that made it home after going through all of this. So I decided I would do something with all the material I wrote about Ray and many others, and that I would start by finding the descendants of Ray Arm. Ray had died in 1998, shortly after the release of Saving Private Ryan, in which his unit is depicted, that Ray himself considered the most realistic movie ever made. Luckily, his son Rick was easy to find on Google, as he was a well-known journalist who once won the Pulitzer Prize. We got in touch, and he was such a kind man and so supportive of the project that he convinced me to take my project to the next level. So it's only natural that now that the book is finished and about to be released soon, I'm starting this podcast series with the story of Ray Arm. Ray's son Rick unfortunately lost his battle to cancer in 2017, but I promised him that the book would be called Till Victory in reference to Ray. And you'll learn where this expression comes from in my conversation with his granddaughter Sarah. I'll also have a conversation with Ray's other son Donald, his grandson Jeffrey. And as this podcast is about sharing experiences of World War II and because Ray cannot share them himself, I'll have both his great-grandsons, Bo and Deacon, read some of Ray's wartime letters. Now, let's do this. I'll be talking to Sarah first, granddaughter of Ray and daughter of Rick, who lives in Iowa. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you? We're good. Great. So, Sarah, you, you wrote a little book about Ray with your late father, Rick. Um, what did you learn about your grandfather while you were working on this? What kind of man was he? Um, boisterous, fun. Um, he, he loved to hug, loved to talk, always very... Uh, loving, and we knew that about him. But it was amazing to me to read his letters to my grandmother, knowing what he was going through at that time, and then just seeing the the love and the consideration and care he had for his wife, and was able to 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 really comfort her in a time that I can imagine must have been really hard to do. I would say I didn't realize how sentimental he was. Um, I felt like he was more tender because he was just kind of a larger than life personality um, as a person, but he was so tender in his letters. And that was a really neat thing to see that side of him. So I just was very proud of him and just very, um, I just really admired his heart. And yet he was in some of the worst battles in Europe. Can you actually imagine him as an elite soldier? I cannot. I think, I think of that time and I think of, you know, it just, imagining what that must have been like, even leading up to those days for those uh, men that fought. I can't, I cannot fathom. I just can't. He was in the second battalion army ranger. He was one of the first on the beaches of Normandy. Um, you know, when you read his letters, he speaks in vague generalities, knowing what he's facing 
knowing the dangers and knowing, I just feel like he always sort of had a, a sense that it was going to be okay. Um, he spoke about just praying and just knowing that it was going to be okay. And everything around him was not okay. And, you know, he had friends die left and right. And it's amazing for me to read about that time period and know what happened and what he experienced and what he saw. Um, and for him to, I feel like, had this peace about him uh, throughout it all. What about uh, the code? Can you tell us about the secret code that Ray had with his wife during the war? Yeah, um, so they were clever. I know my grandma had a, a, a language with her friends for years, and I don't, I don't know it, and I don't know all the details. My uncle yeah. would also know that. But that they were just clever. They were clever people. And um, so he wanted her to get a sense of where he was at, knowing that everything would be censored and he couldn't write it. And there were things that they would take out and they couldn't include. And so before he left, he had worked out a, a system that um, any way he would sign the letter uh, would tell her where he was at in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so like the Till, Till Victory meant he was in Germany um, with love was England, Scotland all my love he'd sign and then she would have it and and he had no idea where he was going so he mm. obviously couldn't write everywhere but he kind of did his best guess and then had different signatures planned ahead that she would know if he signed it that way that's where he would be so of course he couldn't share much about what he was going through at the time because of censorship and to avoid alarming his wife audrey but did he share stories after the war uh, although many veterans usually try to keep this in the past He, yeah, he, I mean, he definitely did. He, um, he passed away when I was in high school. And so I, I wish as an adult, I'd had more conversations with him than the ones I, I vaguely remember in high school. Um, but yeah, he, he was unusual that he did. He, he did talk about it. He, he and my grandmother loved to travel uh, and meet other army rangers all over the country. They were active in the ranger newsletter. I wish I had more memories of, of his conversations Um, because, you know, he was proud of his service and could cheer about it. When I contacted you for uh, my book, you, you sent me a little book you made for your family, uh, Pray Hard, uh, with more letters that Ray wrote during the war. Why did you start this project with your father? Um, I like to write. Um, mm -hmm. I write for a newspaper in town. My dad was a writer, um, but he moved. He was five hours for me and then seven. Mm -hmm. um, and so... It was just a project we just sort of talked about and and started sort of just for fun. I mean, it was a way to we wanted to preserve those memories and um, both kind of study it as well, just to kind of go through, um, you know, you read the tenderness of what he was writing and then to parallel that with what was happening in the war. It was it really kind of blew both our minds when we were going through it. It's always just been meant for our family, just as a, a preservation of history for everyone to have and to um, just to see their story laid out in a way that also tells the history of, of his service. Well, we had all the letters. Um, we, his, they're older and they're on very, very delicate paper. So actually transcribing them and, and deciphering each word was actually the hardest part, I think. Yes. Same thing here. Yeah. That's a huge part of the work. Yeah. We, you know, so that was actually my task. I went through and, and typed all the letters up um, and, and deciphered what each said and, and how it was written. Some of Some of it in the book is misspelled or done different ways, but we did it the way that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. uh, just seeing that tender side of him, thinking about what it, you know, I'm, I'm a wife and a mother now too, um, but just being a, a husband and a wife separated that long and, and maintaining their love and, and uh, care and consideration for each other at such a distance under such circumstances, it gives a whole nother layer of what that looks like mm. um, serving And, and what kind of sacrifices uh, everyone made. I mean, And you were already interested in that part of history at the time? I've always loved history. Um, but I mean, like as a high school kid, you don't, I don't think you can conceptualize it as much as you do when you become an adult or even just going through college. And then, you know, you learn more and more. Um, so I can't say I necessarily was as much when he was living. Unfortunately, I wish I was. Um, I loved history. I still loved reading history, but I don't think I fully grasped all of it until I was older, as far as his service and his sacrifice. What about you, Bo? Hello. How are Hello. you? Good. How old are you now? I'm 13. 13. And, and, and are you interested in history? Yes, I like history. Is it because of your great-grandfather or? 
um, a little bit, and because both my parents like history, and we just there's a lot of history going on in our house. Did you read the book? I did read the book about sometime in November of last year. Okay. I really liked learning and reading about my great grandpa and what the sacrifices he made and the hardships he went through. But in the end, reading about how he came back with Audrey and all that and just the stories were, I really liked all of that. Do you, do you tell your friends that uh, your great grandfather was an elite ranger storming Homa Beach? Are you proud uh, of this? I don't, I don't really tell my friends, but in class, sometimes they ask like, Or any of your grandparents in wars, and I talk a little bit about my great grandpa was in in the war. Yeah, was it your great or was it Emma's that I took the his scrapbook to school? Was that, it yours? That was Emma. Emma, okay. Yeah, we've he's got another scrapbook that has my grandmother made beautiful memorabilia and things, and okay. I've gone to the school and shown it at school. Okay, people are impressed, I guess. Yeah. You know, in France, that part of history is extremely important to us for obvious reasons. Um, every every summer in Normandy, hundreds of thousands of people gather on the landing beaches and museums and memorials to commemorate D-Day and our liberation. How is it celebrated in the U.S.? Is it as important as it is for us? Or was World War II just another conflict fought in a distant land? I think because of the magnitude of the war... It is taught slowly in the United States. We are teaching my daughter, who's in fifth grade, more than she's learned in school mm -hmm. because it's very important to our family. But Bo, being in seventh grade, has learned more than our fifth grader has just because of the magnitude of especially World War II. Mm -hmm. um, so locally, we, we have a Memorial Day in um, our country we celebrate. And I would say America celebrates it with backyard barbecues. It's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But at the same time, um, Bo is in Boy Scouts and we're active with um, because I'm at the paper with the American Legion and we put out flags every year at the cemetery as all of the men that have served mm -hmm. and then the ceremony every year that we've always been a part of because of scouting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would say that's pretty consistent all over the country um, that the legions recognize and do some sort of ceremony every year. Um, Have you ever been to Normandy? No, I mean, we definitely want to. It is definitely mm -hmm. on my list of places to go. Bo, have you actually seen um, Saving Private Ryan? I, I did uh, probably a few months ago with my dad. Okay. What did you think during the movie? Did you think, you know, wow, my, my great-grandfather was in that unit? Yeah, I was thinking that a little bit. My mom and my dad told me a little bit about my great-grandpa actually being in the war, and then my dad finally let me watch the movie. And once I was finished watching the movie, I was just in awe that my great-grandpa went through that and had to go through that war. I couldn't imagine going through that and having to just go through all that pain. Yeah, I couldn't imagine at the age that he was just having to fight through a war that he didn't really get a choice to go. He just had to go and fight for our country and the world. And just after seeing that Saving Private Ryan, it was just all the destruction and the fighting and all that. Just I couldn't imagine. I think they were the last great generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like they were just made of different stuff. They just were. Bo, do, do you mind reading us uh, the last letter uh, Ray wrote before D-Day? Yeah, I will. My darling wife. Well, Audrey dears, I finally have some letters from my sweetheart. In fact, I have five of them. Three V-mail and two airmail. Lucky guy, aren't I? Well, I think so, anyway. See, darling, it sure feels good to read your handwriting again. What a boost for my morale. It's up 100% again. This will be my last letter for some time, Mother Dearest, and there's no need to explain why. You read the papers. Yes, I guess we will both change as a result of this separation, dear, but our love will never change. It will always grow deeper. All I look forward to is being together once again. I know it won't be long now. The time has come to say goodbye for a little while, my darling, so chin up and take care of yourself me so i don't have to worry i don't have to tell you to be good i know you will be so god bless you my audrey and always remember i love you now and forever with all my heart and soul i love you till victory love ray p.s kiss mom and dad for me thank you very much for that Bo. you know i think 
remembering my grandfather and grandmother, um, they moved so effortlessly together. Um, they were such a beautiful example of two people that loved each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always just very tenderly caring for one another in very simple ways. Just, you know, her fixing a meal he loved, him making sure her gas tank was always full. I mean, they, they moved in ways that um, they didn't have to speak about it. They just moved as a pair always. They were hard to think of not as a pair. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a beautiful, beautiful example for us to see just their love and how they treated one another and um, just how they worked as a couple. Um, I think of them often as an adult now in my marriage and and how they worked as a couple um, and trying to emulate that, um, just knowing they were such a strong example. Yeah. And even war could not break that. It's it's ironic that he went through all that almost without a scratch and was injured right before boarding the ship that would bring him back to Audrey. Playing baseball? Is that yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. So he went through as much as he went through and he got hurt playing baseball. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's suiting for him. Like it was such a big part of his life. So that almost kind of makes sense. So. <laughs> And he still managed to uh, make a little bit of a career after that. Uh huh. Yeah. He um, a, a brief career in minor league uh, was signed by the White Sox, right? White Sox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all play baseball. I played many years of softball. Baseball is a huge part. Yeah. Uh, of our lives, my dad played. Um, my son plays. He's hoping to play this summer. We're crossing our fingers, but I don't know. <laughs> so, but it's something we all, as a family, love, love to watch, love to play. So. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time and, and sharing you. all this. And, uh, and I hope that you will be my guest uh, in France next time and yeah. that we can uh, tour uh, the beaches together. And uh, that would be great. Great. We'd love that. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for this work. Um, we love uh, just preserving this time and his memory and all, all the men that serve. I think it's beautiful work and we appreciate your work. Well, thank you very much. That's the least I could do, you know. And uh, like I said, we're very grateful in France and uh, like in whole Europe, actually, for our freedom. So, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, let's go done. Rick's brother and other son of Ray Alm, who is in his home in Illinois with his son, Jeff, and grandson, Deacon. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Nice to be able to talk to you finally. Finally, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing after all this time. Finally, get a chance to kind of, kind of meet you. Yeah. So, can, can you tell us um, what kind of man was Ray, your father? Well, I remember him as being a man of great courage. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever seemed to really rattle him. If, if you understand my mm-hmm. my phrase, rattling him, nothing ever seemed to get him too. Uh, off kilter. Uh, he, he just had great courage with anything that came his way to face it. And I, I admired that in him as I was growing up. And along with courage, I would then use the, the other term bravery. I never saw him be afraid of anything. Mm. Uh, and along with that, just the physical strength that I saw in him, uh, even as he was older, as he got into, well, close to my age, Uh, but as he got into his 60s and 70s, he always had a lot of physical strength. And I attribute that to the, the kind of work that he did for years and years. He was in construction and did a lot of outdoor work and heavy lifting. Later on, as he got older, he, he wasn't as involved in that, but he was always in great physical shape. That's as far as the physical side of him. The, uh, the personal side of him, I, I remember him and always he was very devoted Mm-hmm. Uh, he had both love of country and love of family. And if anybody voiced or did anything that he would find threatening at all, even just in words threatening or contradictory to his beliefs, uh, he would stand up for what he believed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that was love of country and love of family. And it wasn't just immediate family with with Rick and myself, but extended family also with cousins and in-laws and all, all the way down the line, a tremendous devotion to family. And in that, he had an emotional side. He kept it guarded. He kept it hidden from us when we were kids. We didn't witness that too much. Mm. But as I got older, I could see a very emotional side of him. Probably at the point when I started having my own children, mm. I would see that more emotional side of him and the love that he had for family that way very protective of the family. 
He was very quiet in his own personal life, though. Um, he didn't share a lot with us as children. I'm sure he shared a lot of things with mom, but he didn't share a lot of a lot of things. He kept his emotions intact and hidden, played it very close to the vest uh, until again we got older. He was very opinionated, mm-hmm. but to me that would be different than in his. He was very quiet in his thoughts. I remember him as being extremely trustworthy and a man of his word. If he said something, he believed it. He mm. didn't try to just say, he wouldn't just say things to appease people. He would speak his mind and he was able to defend what he was saying verbally too. So I, those are all kinds of things I always really admired in him. And again, I really didn't appreciate those kinds of things until I got older. Mm. I think the movie Private Ryan yeah. brought a lot of that to light to me. Yeah. When I it that had a tremendous emotional impact on him watching that movie. Yeah, I, I wanted and, to ask you about this actually. Uh do you remember that day when he went to the movies with Audrey and watched the movie? I remembered hearing about it because at that time we were living in uh Quincy, Illinois, which is about five hours away from Chicago. But I remember him talking about it, and I remember Mom talking about it, uh, about Private Ryan. They were very excited about going to see it. And yet, when they got there, I could only go by what Mom and Dad both shared with us about it. But Mom told us that Dad just sat there in total silence. He didn't speak at all during the movie. He was just captivated by everything that was going on on screen. Actually, I don't think mom spoke too much during the film either. Uh, but afterwards, we talked a couple of times about it, but he he never really opened up about D-Day. That mm-hmm. was once something that he kept inside of him. I think he was being very protective of us, even after the film, when we were able to really, for the first time, understand what he actually went through. Because... Uh, I remember him saying after the film that that was the most realistic he had ever seen as far as a depiction of what it was actually like. Mm. Uh, up until that time, uh, growing up, it was always fun to watch some of the other war movies alongside of him when I was growing up that would, they would, would have, you know, the John Wayne movies and things like that. I, I think you're familiar with those kinds of things. Yeah. But they were more Hollywood Mm. Uh, depiction this this he said was the most realistic that he had ever seen he did say a couple of times that that some of the things that were depicted on the screen that he actually saw those kinds of things happening Mm. the destruction the shock that the 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 boys were going through Mm. uh, just all those kinds of things He, he just said it was the most realistic that he had ever seen and i think during the movie while they were sitting there that he was probably reliving some of those things that he had never really opened up with us about Mm -hmm. and then of course it wasn't that much longer until after that point that we lost him Mm. so but yeah he never really talked too much about his experiences over there what he saw except for some of the things that you have related to in in the book already mm-hmm. the other things that you've written about are would be the same same stories of you know when he was on patrol and they uh they took out the prisoners uh, his d-day landing with the front of their landing craft being blown off he would talk about that all the time mm-hmm. that was one of the stories that i i remember very well uh when the front of the craft got blown off mm-hmm. And they sunk in about whatever that was, 15 foot of water. Uh, Dad would say, always said that he sunk to the bottom because he was carrying the mortar mm-hmm. or a bazooka. And he got to the bottom and he just stood there in 15 feet of water looking up. And he dropped everything he had. He dropped his pack. He dropped his uh, the mortar, mm-hmm. uh, anything that he had. And then he said he... He would look. He started looking up, and he started to gradually just come up to the surface. Uh, but there again, you know, you're aware of that. You've got that in the book already. But he, mm-hmm. would, he said, you know, when he hit the beach, the only thing he had was just a handgun. Was mm-hmm. all he had. He had to pick up stuff along the way. 
Did Audrey know about all this? Because uh, I believe that she left uh, the theater uh, during the movie uh, because she wasn't yes. prepared for that. She thought he was some kind of forest ranger, actually. Is, right, something like yeah. That. I, I, and I remember that story uh, with, with her talking about that many times yeah. when we were sitting around that she didn't know that he was going into the rangers she thought he was probably going off to to oregon somewhere and sitting up in a fire mm. station somewhere out in the forest mm. <laughs> uh she did not know what she was signing when yeah. she signed the uh the permissions papers to let him go in as a as a married man did you talk yeah. to her about that uh it never really went too much further than that mm -hmm. uh because it She, too, didn't really fully, I think, comprehend what he went through until they they sat there at Private Ryan and mm -hmm. saw the movie together. I don't think she really understood too much. Uh, he was very, Dad was very protective of us. He was not being selfish about not telling us things. It wasn't that. I think he was just protecting us from that. Mm -hmm. And that was all so deep inside of him. Well, every two years... It would have been after I was born in 1950. I think, I'm not sure when the Ranger Battalion Association began. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I don't know. That they, the boys that all came home, they all formed a, an association. And they would get together and have a Ranger reunion, as it was called, every two years. Mm -hmm. And they, every two years, it was in a different spot throughout the country mm -hmm. where the survivors of uh, the war would, that were Rangers would all get together and they'd have like a convention. And it was always in a location where there was something as far as entertainment wise for the wives and the children to do as the veterans all got together and did their thing, whatever that thing was, they would get together. And I'm sure they shared stories and shared experiences. And I'd like to think that that was a emotional outlet for him. When yeah. he went to those reunions, that he was able to share his experiences with others that went through the same experiences. Yeah, it's very typical of veterans that you know they right, they, they keeping think... it all bottled up inside of him. That was his. Yeah. That was his release. Mm. Pani must have been happy that a successful movie was finally telling his real story, making it probably easier to share what he went through with the general public, wasn't he? I don't know if happy would be the right word. I think yeah. he was probably more proud yeah. of it that it came out and that it was so true to life mm -hmm. as opposed to being something that was manufactured with a script mm -hmm. uh like the other previous movies you know for the, for the last 40 years had been i think he was more proud that the word was out that that people could really see what had happened and of course uh World War II, in today's terminology, you could call that was more was a more popular war than mm -hmm. the things that that we here in the United States have had since then, as far as wartime. Uh, so I think they all always received the public recognition mm -hmm. and the public appreciation, but maybe that was superficial. Mm -hmm. I don't know that people really didn't understand as much. So to answer your question, I would say he probably was, and maybe more proud and thankful as opposed to happy mm. that uh, there was such a piece done that really depicted what they did so that the surviving people that went through that time and their children could really relate to and understand what they went through in a, in a new way. Mm. It's a shame that he never got to see all the interest that this uh, movie sparked among the younger generations and the welcome that has since been reserved for veterans in Normandy. I've never been over there. Yeah. Uh, I would, and I would love to have been over there with him yeah. when, when Rick was with him, my brother Rick. Yeah, they went together to, uh, to Point yeah. York and, and Cemetery, yeah. And Rick had a, had a different uh, connection with Dad mm -hmm. about the war. And about the service just in general, because Rick also served in the army. Yeah. As you know, he Rick mm -hmm. was stationed in Germany for a few years, mm -hmm. but he went through military training and, and such. So they had a lot more to relate to and in common mm -hmm. that way than I did, because I did not serve. My generation was of the time when we had our first, they first instituted the draft lottery. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty high number. 
mm-hmm. that we knew that I would not get drafted. Where Rick had a low number. I don't remember what his number was, but I I believe it was in the 30s or the 40s. And of course, there was there was like 365 numbers that were pulled, and his number was like in the 30s or 40s, as I recall. So it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be drafted. He knew, uh-huh. Rick knew that he was going to be drafted. And then that's why he enlisted. Mm-hmm. He was able to choose uh, some of the schooling that he would go through with the army. He wasn't able to choose his uh, point of operation where he was going to be stationed, mm-hmm. but that kept him out of combat by enlisting. Yeah. And that, okay. and he wound up being, being over in Germany for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that was the time when, when dad went over there to, to Normandy and they, they toured all of that together. Yeah. I remember that he told me that he saw Ray cry yes. uh, in the cemetery, and it was the first time that he saw him cry. And um, did he share any stories like this with you? Beyond what you've mentioned, not really. Uh, I think it emphasized the fact that he, what, that Dad was very quiet about that, mm-hmm. uh, and very emotional about it. I think going through the, the cemeteries and seeing these things, I'm sure that they, you know, they talked about things and. Dad probably pointed landmarks out to him mm-hmm. where something was or where how it looks now as opposed to what it looked like on D-Day and things like that. I think Rick was more thankful that he could do this with Dad, and Dad was probably thankful that he that Rick was with him mm-hmm. to share it with him that way. Again, because they had a different a different bonding yeah. because of Rick's military service, and at that time Rick was in the military. Mm. Even though my brother did not see combat, he could relate to it in a in a way that I can't, mm-hmm. because of the possibility that if something had really gone wrong, while while he was stationed in Germany, that there was always the remote chance that he could have gone mm-hmm. to Southeast Asia, yeah, in in some form. Mm. It's just a different mindset I think you have when you're in the military that uh, you can run into harm's way at any time, really. I'm sure that that's the way dad felt when he was in Normandy and throughout all of France during the war that, you know, they may have been safe back in a bivouac somewhere, but there was always a possibility that something could happen at any time. Mm-hmm. They shared a different bond and a different connection. I guess maybe that's a better word than bond. They had a different connection together. Yeah. There was almost three years difference between my brother and I too. Mm-hmm. So even as uh, teenagers and, and that, uh, I think Rick had a different uh, understanding of dad. Uh, I looked at him as an adolescent and as one of the guys that I watch on TV. Mm. Maybe Rick had a little bit different understanding, even at that point as a, as a middle teen or late teen. Dad always kept, he had a big trunk, uh, like a steamer trunk, full of war souvenirs and things that he brought back. Mm. And uh, every once in a while, my brother and I would, go down in the basement and we'd get the trunk out and we'd look at these things. And, uh, do you remember what was inside? I can remember vividly. Uh, he had two, uh, Nazi, they, I guess they were called parade swords mm-hmm. that were, that would hook onto the belt. It was on a steel chain, very ornate. And the blade on this was probably 15 inches long. He had two of those. Oh. And, Whenever we got those out, we had to be very, very careful. Yeah, Dad didn't appreciate us getting into that stuff too much by ourselves. Of course, but I can I can still visualize those with the Nazi emblem on the very end of it. I think what I remember was he sold those to a collector years later, mm-hmm. and used the the funds as a down payment on the house. Oh, okay. So they were worth quite a bit. Yeah. But he, he, he did oh, not I have... just got corrected. My son has one of those. Okay. <laughs> which I didn't know. <laughs> so there's something you can talk to him about. <laughs> he just tapped me on the shoulder. Did, did he tell you the story behind them? Uh, no, I don't remember. No. Well, he, he may have, but I don't remember. Has he ever talked to you about his fellow rangers, like his friends, Jack Bramcam, who was killed on D-Day? You, you know the stories about uh, Jack Bramcamp's mother, Mrs. B, as we called her. She was like a second yeah. grandmother to us. We we celebrated holidays with her, and so mm-hmm. that was all things after the war. 
but I remember her vividly. I remember her. I can picture her in my head with no trouble. That's how how often we would see Mrs. B, and that's the way we always refer to her as Mrs. B. Yeah. Uh, I can still see her in yeah. my mind. She very very proud woman, very uh, classy woman. Actually, what happened to to Jack Brandcamp is still a mystery. You know, I, I've done all the research that I could in all the books about the Rangers that I could find, and I have found three different ways and places where he was killed. There was uh, one source saying that he was killed in the water. Uh, another one said that he was killed on the beach, and another one said that he was killed uh, on the hills just above uh, Homa Beach. You know, there's no way of knowing where he was actually killed. It's uh, very frustrating. Not well, don't you think this. that's that's true for a lot of the boys that lost their lives? Yeah, yeah. The confusion, was, because of yeah. the confusion of that day. Of course. Mm. Nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. They were all just trying to survive. Yeah. So I would imagine that, that's the, that there's a lot of families out there that are in that, that same position of not, not truly knowing. They just know that their loved one died in the service of the country and the, the specifics, the details are going to be foggy forever. They're not going to really know for certain what yeah. happened mm. unless somebody that they know is right there with them when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. But how did that relationship between Ray and this woman start? It seems like they knew each other from before the war because he was calling her mom. Well, I, I don't think it became real clear about that. I, I'm, I have always assumed that it happened uh, while they were together in training camp, mm -hmm. that maybe dad went home with Jack for a weekend, mm -hmm. uh, met Mrs. B at that point, and she probably said something, you know, he introduced the two of them together, and probably the first thing out of her mouth was, don't call me Mrs. Bramcamp, I'm, I'm mom. Mm -hmm. I, I think like that because the first time I met my wife's mother, mm -hmm. it was the same thing. <laughs> Okay. My wife's mother was always mom to me. Mm. The first time I saw her, it was mom. Okay. And they they just struck up a friendship, dad and Jack, in training camp, and they were in the same outfit. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, but perhaps they were bunk mates mm -hmm. uh, in training camp or over in England uh, or something. But they just, I do know that uh, dad, when dad would talk specifically about somebody, It was never in great deal. I think he had a hard time talking about anybody who was really close to him that he lost. Yeah, of course. That's where he would kind of just bottle up inside of himself mm. and not, not share too much more, change the subject to something else. Mm. I think it pained him to talk about those things. You know, some of the things that, that they witnessed were just beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. The destruction, the devastation, you know, not to sound gruesome, but bodies exploding where, you know, they were standing next to somebody and all of a sudden that person isn't even there. They're mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. What happened to them? Because they got hit by something mm -hmm. or their, their leg was gone or something like that. To see that kind of stuff. And that was the kind of thing that was depicted in Private Ryan that I think that he related to when he said it was so real. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of the of a scene in, in Private Ryan where the young guy coming across the beach gets his arm blown off yeah. and he stops and he goes back and he picks it up. Mm. I don't know if you remember that scene. Yeah, of course. But, but you know, that kind of stuff, that, you know, that happened. That stuff actually happened. Yeah. And to see that and witness it happening to people that you know, I just can't imagine mm. what that can be like. I wasn't witness to anything, but, you know, I know myself, I'd have nightmares about that on a regular basis. Do you think so that Ray did? Some of his, I'm sure he did, but I think that, that, would, that shows some of the strength that he had, that he didn't let it affect him yeah. as a father and as a husband. Uh, he kept those things private. Yeah, the way, the way you described him, he had all the qualities to, uh, to go through all that and, and come home. Right. Uh, I know it was something that he wanted to do, and that's why he had to kind of pull the wool over mom's eyes and get her to sign the paper because he knew that she wouldn't let him go otherwise. Mm. But it was something that he wanted to do, and I think that, that in itself emphasizes the love of country that he had. He wanted to protect, at that point, he wanted to protect mom, 
and uh, he didn't know if he was coming back or not. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a different different mindset, and, and our boys that are serving today all have that same mindset. Uh, unless that's how you operate in your head, mm-hmm. I don't think, like myself who didn't serve, I don't know if we if I can truly understand that sense of loyalty, mm-hmm. that sense of dedication. I can only describe what I think it would be like, but to actually feel that way, having not served myself, it boggles me sometimes. Mm-hmm. I wish as a younger child that I had spent more time asking dad questions. I think if I had questioned him, he I would have gotten the answers, but he he wouldn't just talk about things that mm-hmm. way. In that respect, dad wasn't much of a talker. But Sarah told me you had a, um, he shared a few war stories with you and that you had a great story about a smoke bomb. Oh, the sm- okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, and maybe, that, maybe that's where he sold some of his other things. That was the first house that, that we lived in. It was just a two-bedroom ranch-style house, very simple, in a neighborhood in the Chicago mm-hmm. area on the south side that was built primarily for all the returning vets. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dad had been in the reserves. After the war, he was in the uh, Army Reserves for a few years. Mm-hmm. And he had a couple of smoke bombs mm-hmm. that they would use uh, in training. It was the 4th of July. Dad figured, well, we'll go down the end of the block uh, where there was a an open field, mm-hmm. and we'll set off these big smoke bombs. Now, you know, a military smoke bomb is a lot more than what you can buy at the fireworks stand. <laughs> 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 so I, I don't, I don't remember all the specifics of it, but we set off. We went with one of the neighbors. Yeah, we drove down the end of the block and uh, went out in the, in the field in the prairie, and he set off these smoke bombs, and they were red, red smoke coming from them. Yeah. Well, as he was setting off the smoke bombs the wind shifted and the first house down the street from the prairie that we were in, the man was out painting his house white at the time. (laughs) (laughs) When dad saw the wind shifting, he grabbed us, he grabbed Rick and he grabbed me and we jumped into the cars and we took off. (laughs) And the next day we drove by and that man's house was the prettiest pink you'll ever see. (laughs) Oh, this is great. So, uh, I guess, you know, to, to go back to what I said earlier about his bravery, that was one time he ran. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah that, that was that was a fun one. Yeah. Do you have any other anecdotes before I talk to Jeff? Back in 1967, our community that we lived in there on the south side of Chicago, uh, we went through a devastating tornado. And okay. dad was right in the middle of of where the tornado came through the through our town. At the time, he was uh, in the barber shop getting a haircut, and they heard the sirens going off. Uh, one of the barbers ran out in the middle of the street to see what was going on, and they saw the, the tornado coming right down the middle of the street that they were on. Mm-hmm. They all ran into the back of the barber shop, and it, it took out the barber shop. The tornado did, and Dad said there was everything just flying around the room. Mm-hmm. And he said that the only time that he had been more frightened was D-Day. Yeah. That, uh, that, that brought back memories of, of fear and of be- being killed. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Don, for sharing all this. And, um, and I, I wanted to uh, tell you also that, you know, I'm very sorry for Rick. You know, he, he was very important to me um, and, and to the project because, you know, as I, I told you already, he was the first uh, family um, uh, member of a veteran that I met for the project, you know? Yes. Uh, he was the first one I contacted and the first one who replied. And um, he was so kind and uh, helpful that he gave me the courage to uh, find now more than 60 other families and i met some wonderful people through that and it's all thanks to him did you ever think when you were first getting started with this that it would grow into something this big 
no 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 i i had actually <laughs> i actually had no ambition you know i i didn't know it would be a book uh i remember like that email i, I sent rick uh, i said oh, okay i i have this letter that i found on ebay and i want to do something to honor uh you know your father i don't know what it's gonna be <laughs> but i want to do something and uh it evolved through the years uh, into this um, with all the research I had done for more than 10 years before that. But uh, he gave me the courage to, to, um, to, yeah, yeah. On my desk, I actually have the Christmas card uh, he sent me um, back in 2015. I, I can, I can read it to you if you want. He said, your book project has made 2015 very special to me and my family. So, you know, I, I have it in front of me right now and I have had it for all the time that I've spent on the book. And, you know, every time I look at it, it reminds me, you know, uh, what special relationship it became with your family. And this is also the reason why I wanted to start this podcast with you, uh, because it makes sense. Well, we are so very proud of Dad. We're so very proud of Rick. Mm -hmm. And we're so very proud of you and what you're doing to have included our family in on this the way you have we are so looking forward to seeing the uh the final version of english version unfortunately we have yeah. to wait for that yeah me but too. we are so forward looking forward to to seeing that he has such an exceptional story and uh it has to be known so yes i agree it's, it's wonderful of okay course. here's jeff bye good afternoon or good evening hello jeff how are you i'm wonderful how are you I'm fine. I'm fine. Very nice to talk to you. Likewise. And I, I think my dad just said it, but uh, we really appreciate the effort that you've uh, you've undertaken in this this project. Not sure why you've chosen grandpa, but uh, we really appreciate it. Pure luck, actually. <laughs> I, I found this letter on eBay and uh, it was the same thing for all the other soldiers that were selected to be honored in Till Victory. Ray's story is fascinating and his letters are exceptional, so he deserves his place in the project. I believe you are very interested in his story, aren't you? Um, as I'm getting older, yes. Mm -hmm. um, my dad just said it, you know, that if he had had the opportunity when he was a kid or an adolescent, he would have he would have asked more questions. And I think I think I could echo that sentiment. Um, unless prompted, Grandpa didn't talk a lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it's like growing up in France, but most of the most of the young men here, when we're about the ages of twelve through twenty, we're pretty big idiots, mm. and um, and we don't, you know, we think we know everything, and we don't really care about anything outside of our own world. And uh, I never had never had an understanding or an appreciation of it um, as I was younger. Yeah. Um, I do remember. I think I was a sophomore in high school, so I was. 13, 14 years old, maybe 15. And we were, we were in Quincy, Illinois. And, uh, my grandfathers came, they were visiting during the school year and he came to my history class mm -hmm. and spoke to my class about some of his experiences. Now he was talking to an, an wow. audience of high school kids, so he couldn't go into any kind of great detail or the gruesome details or anything like that. But I remember we brought a couple of, uh, memorabilia that he had and he kind of talked about it and that was probably the first time where I remember being slightly embarrassed because it was my grandfather talking in front of my class but also um weren't you very proud probably, yes the first moment yeah. of being proud and um I don't know that was probably the root the seed that was planted at the time and it's just taken a few years to um you know to develop both a respect and an honor for my grandfather and then respect and honor for for all those that have served and all those that continue to serve because dad said it, you know, the uncle Rick, he served, but dad never did. So there was never really any kind of um, military tradition or anything like that in our home when mm -hmm. I was growing up. But based on the world we live in today and after the events of 2001, 9-11 and all that kind of stuff, I think uh, I think that kind of developed a bit more of a, a national pride in me, which has just kind of sparked a little bit more interest as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. What kind of story could Ray tell a class of young children about the war? What did he say? Um, well, I think he, if I remember correctly, he um, spent a little bit of time telling the, the story of the invasion. Uh -huh. um, again, um, censored for, for school, 
or mm-hmm. to be appropriate for school at the time. And then, which I think even the kids in class that would have had no interest at all would have just been captivated by the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, any anybody that knows anything at all about June 6th or D-Day or the invasion or anything, anytime you could get a personal story like that, I think it, it just would have garnered your attention. We had the, the memorabilia, so we had some of his uh, medals or some of the things that he would have worn on his uniform, his dress uniform, um, you know, a canteen, that type of stuff that he was able to to kind of talk about, mm-hmm. um, again, censored for school. But uh, I remember my my teacher, and she was probably in her 50s at the time, and she was about four foot seven or four foot eight. She was just a very, very petite woman. Mm-hmm. And grandpa wasn't tall, but he was big. He was, and it was, uh, he was kind of an imposing figure and seeing the two of them stand in front of the class together. Mm-hmm. And you had Miss Bertelson, the teacher who, you know, she came to grandpa Ray's waist almost. It seemed like it just seemed like he was such an imposing man compared to her. I remember that being quite humorous. <laughs> I remember the class and there were probably 35 of us in the class and it was in a bit of an auditorium where we had some uh, tiered seating in the class. And um, it was one of those classes that it was right after lunch. Um, and so the the behavior in the class wasn't always the best. You know, people were still kind of riled up from lunch and burning off all the sugar and everything we had just eaten during lunch. Mm. But I do remember that day. It was so quiet in there that you could have heard a pin drop. Mm whether they were scared because of this big hulking man that was standing up in front of the class or whether they were truly interested in, in what he was saying, it was definitely different in class that day than it was in any other, any other day that I remember. Um, he definitely, definitely had their attention and their respect. I think as much as a bunch of 15 year old kids can respect somebody else. Yeah, of course. Must have been impressive. And, and did he share uh, more stories with you? A lot of the war stories that I remember would be from hearing dad and Rick talk, mm-hmm. um, you know, even after, even after grandpa passed. So that was in 98. Mm-hmm. I was a sophomore in college when he passed away. So over the last couple of decades, really in, in continuing to hear those stories is where I've picked up a lot of that. What kind of you know, stories? We, well, you know, the ones that you've got in the book, the ones that we heard about the the front of his ship being hit with a shell and sinking to the bottom of the channel. I mean, my son, who you talked to momentarily, you know, he's 12, almost mm-hmm. 12. And he tells that story to people. I mean, okay. that's, that's, it's like family lore at this point, you yeah. know, where the story has just been passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about it until five or six years ago, maybe after you had made initial contact with Rick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard the stories of grandpa, tr- not tricking grandma, but grandma not knowing what he was doing, thinking he was going to go be a forest ranger or a park ranger somewhere. Not that he was joining the army's elite division mm-hmm. at the time. Um, those were the main stories that we heard. I'd love to be able to sit with him now and hear more stories because I know for whatever reason, he chose not to share all of them or, or share some of them. But um, I would love to be able to to talk to him or other soldiers from that generation just to hear what was going on but unfortunately they're a dying breed and there's not too many of them left anymore yeah have you ever been to normandy i haven't um in fact i was going to uh when you sent the first email to us not too long ago i was going to respond back and say if it wasn't for this uh worldwide pandemic we're facing that i would have done everything in my power to figure out how to get there for your release of the book because i would (laughs) i'd love to be there yeah, I made the same offer to Sarah. You know, if you if you organize a family trip to to France, I will definitely be your guide, and, uh, and it would be a real pleasure to uh, to meet in person and you know uh, show you all the places where uh, um, yeah. Ray was. Because I, I'm not living in Normandy, but um, I go there twice a year just for that, for the celebrations and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like my second home now, <laughs> and um, I found the exact spot where Ray landed and uh, managed to uh, retrace his steps uh, through the beach and on the hills and and the the towns afterwards and so I know I know the place pretty well so Uh, that would be that would be awesome yeah I actually do have um, I think on one of his visits one of uh, grandpa's visits back 
maybe it was when he was with Rick, mm-hmm. um, he filled a film canister, you know, before the days of digital cameras, the mm-hmm. little black plastic uh, film canisters. He filled that with sand mm-hmm. from the beach mm-hmm. and brought it home and nobody knew he had it. And then, um, you know, when he passed away, a lot of the military artifacts and stuff went with Rick. Mm-hmm. And then when Rick passed, um, with me being the only biological grandson, mm-hmm. I got a lot of that stuff. And I have that little film canister of sand from Normandy, mm-hmm. um, souvenirs and relics and stuff that I have medals and stuff that would have been worn on his dress uniforms, mm-hmm. uh, Nazi sword or, um, dagger that he brought home a femaru, not an operating it's, it wouldn't work. Um, but it was the sidearm that the Luwaf Mm-hmm. carried um it was a hungarian made weapon i actually have i don't know what the caliber of it is but it's very small it would be in u.s terms it would be equivalent to like a, a 380 little semi-automatic pistol and then i have an old little revolver that's in about four pieces that's the way it was presented to me so that's the way it will stay mm-hmm. <laughs> i have grandpa's purple heart mm-hmm. um, from his injury that he received um, in fact if you you had emailed us um, some pages of the book mm-hmm. and on page, um, 165, there's a picture of a bunch of soldiers sitting on the ground and there's one, one gentleman in a chair getting a haircut. Yeah. Yeah. It's the um, photo with, uh, Jack Bramcamp, uh, cutting the hair of the, uh, all the soldiers in the unit. Yeah. So yep. it says, and I'm reading it, it says that Jack is cutting fellow ranger Elmer Olander's hair. Mm-hmm. The latter will also be killed on the morning of D-Day. Elmer's arm will be torn off by a machine gun burst as he comes out of the water, running towards the cliffs alongside a comrade who was also shot dead. Mm-hmm. I have Elmer Olander's Purple Heart. Oh, how come? It's in the Purple Heart case um, that they were presented, and there's a handwritten note in my grandmother's handwriting mm-hmm. in it that says that Grandpa and Elmer were very good friends during the war. Okay. And when he died, his Purple Heart was presented to his only surviving heir at the time, which was his sister. And his sister knew of the relationship that Ray and Elmer had during the war, and she felt like it was appropriate and that Elmer would have wanted Ray to have it. Mm. So she gave it to she gave it back to Ray. And Ray held on to it for forever, and then now I have it. Wow! Yeah, I talked to um, the owner of the Rangers uh, Museum uh, in Normandy, and uh, uh, we talked about Ray, and uh, he told me that he remembers that um, he was very uh, popular among the the veterans of the unit, and uh, very respected, and uh, uh, well, he was a celebrity <laughs> in the <laughs> reunions. Uh, So he kept in touch with a lot of them, uh, apparently. And uh... I know my dad talked about the uh, all the ranger reunions and such that they went on, and mm-hmm. uh, we never did that. I never did that, but I do remember in the it was probably in the late eighties, mm-hmm. late eighties or early nineties, we had a uh, family trip to Destin, Florida, mm-hmm. um, and it was grandma and grandpa, and then we came down from we were living in Maine, so we came down from Maine, and Rick and his family came from Kansas City. And while we were there, there was a ranger training group or a training base at one of the one of the army bases in Florida that was not too far from where we were. And somehow grandpa got it arranged for us to go to the base and get a tour of the base. Mm-hmm. And I remember even then, and they would have had no idea who he was. He was Ray Alm, president of the Rangers Association. That, but, you know, but to, that probably didn't mean a whole lot to them. But I just remember the amount of respect that, you know, guys in their late teens and 20s were showing him just because he was a Ranger like them and had served, you know, on D-Day. I remember when, you know, walking around through the through the reptile house and we were firing machine guns and they were repelling out of a helicopter and all, you know, all the stuff that we got to watch them do. And it was almost like everybody was still saluting him, even though he wasn't even an officer at, you know, of, of high rank. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even at 12 or 13 years old, that was just really cool. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're very proud of him, and 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 I'm looking forward to hearing what Deacon uh, thinks about you know all this. And uh, but b before before I talk to him, do do you have any uh, other anecdotes you you would like to share about Ray? Well, what I what I remember as a kid mm -hmm. was I remember Grandpa being a hard worker. He would visit us, or we would visit him, and he always had some kind of project going on that that we weren't we were allowed to look at, but we were never allowed to touch. He was very firm, loving. There was there was never a doubt that Grandpa loved his family and loved his grandkids. But Grandpa had Grandpa had a set of rules, mm -hmm. and those rules were expected to be followed. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't followed, there was there was going to be hell to pay. He was very firm, but I mean, I think even in even to his dying day, had any of us been in any kind of physical trouble or anything at all, that he would have. He would have done anything and everything he could have to make sure that his family was protected. I don't know if that was tied to his time in the war or his time in the army. You know, I think if you just look back from history, that generation of men in the U.S. was or could be considered, you know, the last generation of real men. Mm. And this is coming from a, from a guy in his 40s in the U.S. You know, they were... They were hard workers. They were rough and tumble. They were extremely loyal, very loving. You didn't cross them. Mm. Um, they de they demanded and expected respect. Mm. Um, a natural hero. Yeah, you know that's that's what I saw growing up, and that's kind of what's one of the alm traditions, I guess, that's been passed down. Is you know we're going to work hard, we're going to, but we're going to have rules and we're going to abide by those rules. And that all came from Ray. And I think you know my other sons are. Are younger. My next one is nine, and then the other guy after the little one after him is five. So they're not as interested really in their great grandpa. But for whatever reason, Deacon has been interested for the from the beginning. So okay, uh, it's, it's fun to see. I don't know how my dad thought what my dad thinks about it, but it's fun to see for me to know that at least for one more generation, the legacy will continue, and we can be proud for another generation. Well, can, can I talk to Deacon? Yeah, absolutely. Welcome man. again. Uh, it was very nice to talk with you. Yeah, and, uh, me too. Thank you again for doing this. We'll talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello. Hello, Deacon. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How old are you? 12. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, so you, you are interested in your uh, great-grandfather's history. Yes. I've kind of always had an interest in war. Um, I have a lot of... Uh, World War II books, and I have this one. It's an encyclopedia, and then um, every once in a while, me and my younger brother will look at all the uh, the souvenirs that he brought back from war yeah. with my dad. Are you proud of him? Yes, very, very. I'm very proud of him. Yeah, Jeff told me that you uh, you told the story uh, to your friends about his D-Day and when there was a shell um, blowing off the door of his boat. Yes, I've told that story a lot and I've practically memorized it yeah. for the amount of times I've uh, told somebody it. What's the reaction of your friends? Well, um, well some, sometimes whenever I tell people, sometimes they don't believe it. But others, sometimes they're amazed. Sometimes they don't believe it. but Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, an incredible story. Yes. Uh, have you seen Saving Private Ryan? No, I have not. No. My dad said I I can't see that one yet. Okay. But do you you have an idea of what he went through? Yes, for the um stories that my uh grandpa and my dad have told me. Yeah. Do you do you mind reading us the letter he wrote um after D-Day? Yes. On the evening of June 11th, the 2nd Battalion finally gets some rest. The men settle in Mole Woods, and for the first time since D-Day, Ray has the opportunity to write home. Well, Audrey, I imagine you have been pretty worried since the invasion started, but everything is okay, and I'm all right. Thank God. It's been damn close at times, too close. But so far, my prayers have been answered. I pray that they will continue to be answered. I can't tell you a great deal because of censorship. But I'll have plenty to tell you when I get back. So just be patient and pray hard, darling, as I have been doing. But believe me, when I say this, that Sherman wasn't half right when he said war is hell. It's more like a nightmare or a bad dream. Two days later, Ray finally writes in detail about his landing. Well, Audrey dearest, I've just finished washing, shaving, and changing clothes 
for the first time in over a week, and it sure feels good to be clean again. We've been having a well-deserved rest the past few days and to sort of get our nerves back together. You don't know what. Snipers and machine guns firing at you can do it to you until you actually face it. It's like a horrible nightmare. As long as I live, I'll never forget that hour of crawling over the beach after swimming the last 50 yards into shore after the front of our landing craft was blown off by a direct hit of an artillery shell. And then seeing your buddies fall all around you, my pack saved my life to coming across the beach as it stopped a bullet from going through my back. God was really with me. Thank you very much, Deacon. You are very welcome. How, how do you feel reading that? Can you imagine what well, it went through? Yes. Uh, I've heard that story so many times Yeah. about um, my dad telling me that he had like a, a bazooka on his back and he sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And um, he also told me a different story of when um, there's this guy, um, He was, it was one of his friends and he saw him die right next to him. And he told me a story of how he was scared because that could happen to him. Mm-hmm. Do you um, understand also that you know the the value of of freedom or, and and yes. what what he um, brought us? Because uh, you know I'm French, and uh, how does it make you feel the, that your great grandpa you know helped save the world? Well, like I said, I'm very proud of him. Um, like if he wouldn't have been so courageous, um, this world might not be rid of Nazis today. So. I'm grateful for him. Mm. Hearing these stories now, I do want to go into the military mm-hmm. whenever I'm older and serve my country just like he did. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Aren't you scared? Yeah, I would probably be a, a little scared, but you're fighting for your country. Mm. All right. And what, what what do your parents say about that? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I hope that Jeff isn't discovering this as he's uh, listening to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. I think my dad and my grandpa are just sitting around the corner in the living room talking. <laughs> you know they're gonna hear this podcast. You know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Deacon. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Hello. Hello. Well, it went very, very well. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And and Deacon uh, was uh, was very good at reading the letter. Good. It might be a surprise to you, but uh, he said he wanted to serve in the military uh, later. I don't know if he told you already, but I want well, to tell me. But I, I want to tell you right now because you you might uh, learn some things listening to the podcast. <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, he's a wow. great guy. Well, we have really, really enjoyed finally getting to speak with you, Clement, and we again can't emphasize enough how much we appreciate what you're doing. Well, and again, it's been wonderful. Yeah, it was a great, great moment. Thank you very much for your time and and, uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Goodbye. Talk to you soon, I hope. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's it for the first episode. Ray's full story and his letters will be in my book Till Victory, the Second World War by those who were there, available in October 2020. In the next episode, I'll have a conversation with 101st Airborne veteran Tom Rice, who will share his experience of D-Day and tell us what it feels like to jump on Normandy again at the age of 98. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. There are a lot of great episodes coming and you don't want to miss them. Make those stories known, share them around and hit the like button on whatever you're listening to them on. All the links for the book and social media are on tillvictory.com and do not hesitate to send me a message. Till next time, thank you for listening.